Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our uh, call to confession this morning is three verses, and it's uh, the beginning of a new section of Proverbs. It's where we're introduced to another collection of Proverbs. We've been in the Proverbs of Solomon, and now we're going to move into a collection of the words of the wise. So Proverbs 22, verses 17 through 19. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply your heart to my knowledge, for it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. Let them all be fixed upon your lips, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you. So the first thing we see is the command to approach the wisdom available in humility. And this is a command. We hear, incline your ear and hear the words, or listen, or obey the words of the wise. And then the command to apply your heart to my knowledge. And there is value to wise words and knowledge, and the wise recognize the value in them. And so they, they obey these commands to, to hear and to incline and to apply. Next, we're told that this is all to be done for our own good. That the, the, the Proverbs authors write, it is a pleasant thing if they become a part of us, if, if, if we keep them within us. Something that we keep on hand, something that's, that's right there at the, at the tip of our tongue or at, at, at the edges of our fingertips, just, it's just coming out of us. Um, and it's even better if we are bold to meditate upon them and memorize them and learn to speak them. So he says, it's a pleasant thing if you keep them within you, let them all be fixed upon your lips. And, and that fixed upon your lips is, let them just be in your mouth, so that it's just automatic. When, when you encounter or you see application for a proverb, that the proverb just pops into your head, and, you, and it's just it's right there, and, and then you, you're saying it to yourself. And, and if you're raising your children, you're saying it to them, and you're instructing them in wisdom. So when we need guidance or, or when we can see application, those proverbs should be readily available so that when we encounter a situation that they're there. So, for instance, if you see a stubborn fool who refuses to do what is good for him, you can say something like, well, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And you can, and you can see these situations that come to, come to, to, to happen in the world where, where people are brought to that and, and they're given everything they need and they just turn away and they refuse. Or uh, you wake up and you don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to, to go to work. You, you, you don't feel like it. But as soon as you, you, you get there, because these words are part of you, what pops into your head and what, comes, what you're saying to yourself are these words. As a door turneth on its hinge, so the sluggard turneth in his bed, and poverty comes upon him. But there's the proverb. It's just there because it's there. And so when you find yourself in that situation, 
you, it, it comes out. Or if you get attacked by an angry person or an angry co-worker, the first thing that comes to your mind is a soft answer turneth away great wrath. And, and the fruit of all this is life. It's grace, and, 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 and you get the point. The reason this is a good thing and that it's pleasant for us to humble ourselves before the words of the wise is that these words are the words of life. Wisdom makes life good. These words improve a fallen world. These words teach us to live life on the basis of faith in Yahweh. Uh, in verse 19 we read, So that your trust may be in the Lord. And the word translated Lord there is, is Yahweh. It's the covenant God of Israel. He is the God of heaven and earth. And he is the God who created the world. And he is the God who sets things up the way they are. And then we have a peculiar phrase at the end of our verse. I have instructed you today, even you. But in this phrase, we have an assurance that this is more than just a general instruction. The author of Proverbs wants us to take this to heart. He wants us to know that these words are for us, which is why he repeats the word you, even you. Um, it shows us that he, he wants us to take this to heart individually, personally, and directly. And then he intensifies it with the word today. There is no value in putting this off to tomorrow. It's important that we jump to it right now. Don't wait. Because the need for wisdom is immediate. Pursue it with everything you have and with all you've got. Because we don't lack wisdom because there's a lack of access to wisdom. Our shortage of wisdom is all due to our own failure to pursue it because God freely gives it to us here in his word. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins, so if you're willing and able, please kneel before God. study chapter 1. And as you can see in the title, Coming Judgment on Israel and Judah, this chapter is about the coming judgment on Israel and Judah. God is judge, and he will judge. So verse 1 of chapter 1 is the introduction to the whole book, and in verse 1 we learn that this book is the authoritative word of of God. Micah 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morsheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So Micah himself titles it, The Word of the Lord, which came to Micah. This is no random collection of writings or ramblings of a crazy man. It's the word of Yahweh, the word of the covenant God of Israel. And it has to do with Samaria and Jerusalem during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And we, 
talked about this uh, last week as I introduced the book, um, the, the time period, the, the dates of, of the book. But as we get into the book, it starts with a lawsuit. Micah calls the world to observe that God is coming to judge Samaria and Jerusalem. Micah 1, verse 2. Hear, all you peoples, listen, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. This is a lawsuit. God is coming to bear witness. There's a command. Pay attention. Listen up. Hear. Hear and listen. O earth, all the people in it. Because God is the one who is coming to speak a word to you. God is coming to bear witness. And this isn't just an academic practice. These are commands that Micah gives to the people of Judah. He says, hear and listen. Because God is coming to judge. This is, this is not just... Um, Knowledge that, that he's trying to impart to the people of Judah. He's trying to teach them about what will be happening to them. This is going to affect their lives. And next we see that God is more than just a witness. And he's just told us that God is coming to bear witness. But in verses two to three, or verses three and four, we're going to see that God is not only a witness, but he is also the executioner. He is the one, he's, he's made his judgment, and he's going to be the divine punishment administrator. When he comes, he comes and he's holy, and he's all-powerful, and he has all might. And when he comes, he, his coming is, is effectual or effective. Verses 3 and 4. Listen to, listen to what happens when God comes. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. So God is coming, and no opposition will stand before him. The earth will melt. The earth will melt. But Micah chooses the strongest thing that we can think of, a, a, a mountain, and it will just melt. The valleys will just pour out like water. No opposition will stand against our God, because he is the holy and almighty creator God who, did, and who created everything and upholds everything. Interestingly, he's coming out of his place. It says the, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread. So God's place is in heaven. And another thing that's interesting about God's place is that his place is, is contrasted with what happens when he comes down. So what happens when he comes down is judgment. But what that means is that God's place, where he normally sits in heaven, is a place of mercy, a place of grace, and a place of love. It's only in provocation that he comes out of his place to judge. It's only when Israel has pushed him to the nth degree and, 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 and they deserve this righteous and just condemnation. 
And, and that's, that's where, where Micah goes next. We, we, the next thing he tells us is that, why is there this judgment? And it, he tells us that it's because of the sin of the covenant people of Israel. Uh, both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. In verse 5. Um, all this is for the transgression of Jacob, or the rebellion of Jacob. Jacob would include both Judah and Samaria, all 12 of the tribes. Um, what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? So we have both the, the, the capital cities. The Samaria is the capital city of Israel, and Jerusalem, the capital city of, of Judah, are listed. Now, Samaria is the transgression or the rebellion of Israel. When uh, Samaria was not the original capital of the northern kingdom. Jeroboam established the northern kingdom. But when Omri became king of Israel, he, 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 he moved the capital to Samaria. And, and I don't know if you're very familiar with the kings of Israel, but there was the Omri dynasty of Israel. Um, so when Omri and then his son was Ahab, who is a pretty famous king of Israel. He's the one who married Jezebel. Um, when Omri established Israel, he established uh, false worship in Israel. He, he started worshiping the gods of the peoples that had lived there beforehand. And so he was, he was, he was an evil king, a bad king, and he, he set up uh, altars to Baal in Samaria when he moved his kingdom there. Now, Israel was not without fault beforehand. The first king of the northern kingdom of Israel was Jeroboam, and, and God sent him to take the kingdom from Rehoboam, because Rehoboam had sinned against God also, and God wanted to split the kingdom. But as soon as God gave the kingdom to Jeroboam, he thought, trying to be wiser than God for political reasons, that it would be a good idea to set up centers of worship in the northern kingdom, because he was afraid that if the Israelites... Uh, when the time came to go worship God in Jerusalem, that they would go to Jerusalem and, and then he would lose his, his political power because the people would be going to Jerusalem to worship. So when he became king of Israel, he made two golden calves and he told them that these are your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, he, knowing his Bible, he should have known better than this, because um, that's what the people did to Moses, and, and Moses punished, God punished the people because of it. Nonetheless, that's what Jeroboam did. And when Omri set up his capital in, in Samaria, he took one of those golden calves and set up a temple for it there in Samaria. So what is Samaria but the rebellion of, of Jacob? Um, and, uh, and, and so all this took place in the history of Israel, but by this point in time, Israel's sin had come to fruition. It was full grown. The, 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 the entire nation was, was, was lost in their sin. The people had pretty much completely turned away from Yahweh, and it, the, the whole nation of the northern kingdom was on the cusp of utter destruction, which happened during the ministry of Micah. Similarly, the verse tells us that Jerusalem is nothing more than a high place for idolatry. Um, what are the high places of Judah? Are they not 
Jerusalem. Now there's a, there's a play of words here. Jerusalem was a high place. It was in the mountains. So whenever we read about people traveling to Jerusalem, they're going up to Jerusalem. Whenever they're going away from Jerusalem, they're going down from Jerusalem. Even if they're going north or south, we, they didn't have that same distinction in Israel. So Jerusalem itself was a high place, but God had chosen it as his special place. It was was the seat of the kingdom of of David and of Solomon, and God had planted his temple there in Jerusalem. But over the the years of success, uh, the, the people of Judah had become wealthy and had grown proud and arrogant and had started worshiping Uh, at high places in Jerusalem and in the area surrounding Jerusalem. They were worshiping false gods. So within Jerusalem, there was a a mixture of true worship and false worship. Um, And and Micah brings uh, this lawsuit to Jerusalem and and accuses uh, essentially the whole city of being the high places of Judah. In the next few verses, we see the intended judgment of Samaria and the northern kingdom. Verses 6 and 7. And basically what we see here is that it's too late. They're done. It's too late. And this is a warning to God's people. To behold what happens when his people turn away from him. Um, And and so we read verses 6 and 7. Therefore I will make Samaria... A heap of ruins in the field. Places for planting a vineyard. I will pour down her stones into the valley and I will uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. And all her pay as a harlot shall be burned with the fire. And all her idols I will lay desolate. For she gathered it from the pay of a harlot. And they shall return to the pay of a harlot. So here Micah uses the imagery of of prostitution, harlotry, to display the grossness of Samaria's rebellion. God had married himself to Israel, and she had prostituted herself to these foreign gods. And therefore God will make her a heap of ruins and uncover her foundations. All the things she cherished will be destroyed and taken away. In short, it's too late for Samaria. And her judgment is upon her. The northern kingdom had put her faith in idols, and they will be beaten to pieces. Israel had put her faith in wealth and mammon. And the increase from her adulterous worship, it's going to go right back where it came from. All that gold, all that silver in Samaria, that glorious capital of the northern kingdom, it was a, it was a, Ahab's palace was, was lined with ivory. Uh, there were golden idols. It was, it was, it was wealthy, and, and it, was, it was filled with, with richness. And the people, uh, it, it just had, they had a, a sense of uh, luxury. It was, in, it was in the midst of a fertile plain. It was a, a hill on the top. At the top of a hill is where Samaria was, was settled. Um, and Micah brings this judgment and, and foreshadows the Assyrian sacking of, of Israel. Uh, and that wealth, all that wealth would be taken away and repurposed. It goes right back to the harlotry that it came from. Uh, the Assyrians took it and, and put it into their false worship back in Assyria. Um, to this day, this prophecy remains richly fulfilled. Uh, 
If you go online, look for a picture of uh, Samaria, and what you'll see is, is a hilltop in the middle of farmland with nothing on it. There's just some, some lines of broken rocks. It's just a heap of ruins. There's nothing there. Um, the, uh, Micah's prophecy is fulfilled. It, it's nothing but a bunch of stones in the middle of farmland. And it's exactly what Micah says. Places for planting a vineyard, a heap of ruins in the field. I'll pour down her stones into the valley. So Samaria's toast. Next, Micah turns to, interestingly, verses 8 through 9a, a lamentation for Samaria. And I'll tell you why this is interesting in just a second. But this, this is what Micah has to say. Therefore, I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the jackals and a mourning like the ostriches. For her wounds are incurable. Why is that interesting? Why is it interesting that Micah would lament for the loss of Samaria? Well, it's interesting because Micah was from Judah. He was a Judean from the southern kingdom. And you have to remember that Israel and Judah were at war with each other much of the time. Uh, during, especially during the, the, the latter years of the northern kingdom, they, they, they fought with each other. In fact, Ahaz had paid the king of Assyria to attack Samaria. Ahaz had paid the king of Assyria to attack the northern kingdom. The king of Judah had paid, paid um, these pagan kings to, to help him out. Many Judeans would have been happy to see the destruction of Israel. Uh, but Micah gloriously shows grief and compassion for what's lost. Micah pours out his heart for what has been lost. He knows God and he loves God's people. He knows that the promises of the covenant for, were for these people, including the northern kingdom of Israel. So he does not rejoice in their destruction, even though they richly deserve it. He just said that they richly deserve it. But, but instead of gloating over them, he wails and howls and mourns over their destruction and the abolition of the northern kingdom. And this is because he has a heart for God's people. He, he is emotionally involved in his ministry. And this is something that we need to learn from. Uh, God wants us to get involved. He wants us to get some skin in the game, if you will. Uh, we, uh, we can be too detached, uh, especially post-enlightenment. We, we, we're easy at, at pu pushing things into thought realm. Or uh, we can get cerebral, um, think about things objectively, and distance ourselves emotionally from the judgment that God sends. Uh, it's easy for us to, to, to say, um, well, they deserve it. You, know, you, get what, you, know, you, you get what's coming to you. What goes around comes around. It's easy for us to do that. Uh, it's hard for us to show compassion. Uh, we can be too Northern European or have too stiff of an upper lip. Uh, we're, it, it's almost stoic. I mean, we're good Calvinists, for Pete's sake. Um, you know, God's, in, God's sovereign. It, it's all just. 
yes, God's sovereign, but God loves people. And Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. Micah shows us that kind of love. We should be emotive. We should emote. We should have emotions. Our love should be clear and evident to all. We should cry out to God. We should moan and wail like Micah does. We, We should pray to God for the lost. We should go out of our way to serve and to minister and to proclaim words of life and repentance and salvation. We should weep with those who weep and comfort the brokenhearted. And we should show compassion. And and interestingly, the word compassion is two Latin words, compassion, which it means with passion. Showing compassion is passionate. It's, It's emotive. So Micah wails for Samaria, and next he gives us a prophetic address regarding the coming suffering to the land of Judah. Uh, verses, the second half of verse 9 through verse 15. It has come to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. In Beth Aphra, roll yourself in the dust. Pass by in naked shame, you inhabitants of Shaper. The inhabitant of Zaman does not go out. Beth Ezel mourns, its place to stand is taken away from you. For the inhabitant of Maro pined for good. But disaster came down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. O inhabitant of Lachish, harness the chariot to the swift horse, swift steeds. She was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion. For the transgressions of Israel were found in you. Therefore you shall give presents to Morsheth Gath. The houses of Achzib shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. I will yet bring an heir to you, O inhabitants of Mereshah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. That could be hard for us to process. Um, it's, it's Hebrew poetry, and it's Hebrew prophecy, and a lot is lost in translation. <coughs> So when we read through these passages in the Old Testament, we're like, what is going on? What is he talking about? Um, This is Micah's prophecy to the the people of Judah, and specifically the the cities in the Shephelah. The Shephelah was the the lowlands surrounding Jerusalem, the area outside of the capital of Jerusalem. Um, and, And in the Hebrew, the names of each of these towns have meaning. And, and, and he plays with the meaning, or he rhymes with their names in Hebrew. So uh, he says, Beth Afra. Uh, in Beth Afra, roll yourself in the dust. Beth Afra means house of dust. And so he says, house of dust, which is a town in the Shephelah, roll yourself in the dust. Um, it, it, Shafer, is, it means beautiful. So pass by in naked shame, you inhabitant of beautiful. So he's contrasting these ideas. They're opposite from each other. Zanan means going out. The inhabitant of Zanan, going out, does not go out. That's what he's saying. Beth Ezel, mourn, its place to stand is taken away from you. Um, That one's a little bit more challenging. Um, Beth Beth Ezel might be the place where David uh, and, and Jonathan set up a rock. Where, where where Jonathan had made a covenant with David. 
and uh, it would have stood there to remind them of their covenant. Um, but its place to stand is taken away from you. The inhabitants of Maroth. Maroth is, it means bitterness. Uh, he says, the, the inhabitants of Maroth pined for good. That means they were bitter. Um, but disaster came down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. O oh, inhabitants of Lachish, harness the chariot to the swift steeds. Uh, uh, that one, Lachish doesn't mean anything, but it rhymes with the word for steeds, or the, the, a team of horses. So there's a, there's, a, there's a Hebrew rhyme there, and, and he's saying, you know, Lachish was, was, a, was a, a walled fortress. It was the second most powerful city in Judah. It was the last city to fall before uh, the Assyrians came to the gates of Jerusalem. And he's, 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 he's mocking them. He says, uh, you know, harness your, your horses to your chariots so that you can run away because this judgment is coming. So, uh, O oh, inhabitants of Lachish, harness the chariots to the swift steeds. You know, you need to get out of there because this judgment is coming. And he tells us why this judgment is coming, because the uh, transgressions of Israel were found in you. Um, that uh, apparently that Baal worship was initiated in the kingdom of Judah in Lachish. And we only know that from this verse. But um, that's, he's, he's accusing them of the sins of Omri, is basically what happens. And that's fleshed out in further chapters in Micah, but we're not, we're not there yet. We've got enough right here. Um, he says to Morsheth, um, he says, uh, Therefore you shall give presents to Morsheth Geth. And so we're like, well, what's that mean? Well, Morsheth uh, would have mean, meant bride or betrothed. And these giving presents would have been um, a dowry that you would pay. So they would be going away presents. Uh, he's, he's commanding Judah to give her up. And, and, and she's going to take wealth with her. Um, the houses of Ahzib. Ahzib means a lie or lying. Um, and uh, they shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. Meaning the kings in, in, in the king in, in, in Judah couldn't rest on the, those people to defend him because they would be overrun. Um, I will yet bring an heir to you, O inhabitant of Marashah. Marashah means uh, inheritance, and God is going to give that inheritance away to the Assyrians, who would be the heir. And then the glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Now Adullam is if we. The cave of Adullam is where David hid from Saul. And uh, what, what, he's, what, what Micah is saying here is that God's glory, his, his special set chosen people are going to have to hide in a dark place. They're going to have to uh, go into hiding, be, be humbled because of this chastisement. Now this whole passage is is couched in a Div Davidic context. Um, oh, there's one more thing. I'm, I'm, he, he references the gates of Jerusalem twice, and that's because when Assyria conquered Israel, they, they attacked Jerusalem, and um, they, the, the, they, they sieged Jerusalem. The, the, the attack came all the way up to the gates while Hezekiah was king, but God delivered them. Now this whole passage is couched in a Davidic context. Um, and we know this because he starts it with the words, tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. 
And this reminds us of David's lament uh, when he heard of the destruction of Saul and Jonathan in the, in the war with the Philistines. In 2 Samuel 1, verses 17 through 20, um, we read... One second. 2 Samuel 1, verses 17 through 20. Then David lamented with his lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed it is written in the book of Jashub. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places, how the mighty have fallen. Tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. And then the song goes on from there. But David was from, he was a Judean, and, he, and Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, and, and, and after the kingdom split, it did split along those lines, the northern kingdom and, and the southern kingdom. And David had this song taught to his people. And so when, when Micah brings this prophecy to the people of Judea, or for the people of Judah, they would have recognized this as Davidic. Um, and again, when he references Adullam at the end, they would, have, they would have recognized this as a Davidic prophecy. And this uh, brings a little bit of light to Micah's lament for Samaria. Um, just like David lamented for Saul, who had persecuted him, Micah laments for Samaria, who had persecuted Judea. So we see we have this beautiful, glorious, artistic construction with this powerful message. Well, Ju Judah will be chastised. Judah has punishment coming. There will be judgment. And the, ju and the chapter closes with Micah's command to repent. Repent while you still may. Uh, Verse 16. Make yourself bald and cut off your hair because of your precious children. Enlarge your baldness like an eagle, or like a vulture, for they shall go from you into captivity. So this, this is not just a command to repent, it's also a warning of judgment that's coming. So ultimately there is captivity coming, but there's still a ray of light. This is the promise of the Davidic kingdom, the Davidic Messiah. While there are children, there is hope. While there are children, there is hope. So what we know about Micah's prophecy is that, that he commands these words to the people of Judah and that Hezekiah responded. We, we read about that in the book of Jeremiah last week. Uh, and how Hezekiah, the people of Judah, responded to Micah's prophecy. They did repent. And even though they were chastised and they were sieged and it was, it was miserable and horrible within the city to the point of eating children, it was, it was just evil, horrible wickedness. Um, they repented and turned to God, and God delivered them. But uh, she did suffer, especially in these towns of the Shephelah, because they all fell to Assyria, and they were carted off, or they were put to death. Um, but her suffering was a suffering that happened in hope. Just like David in the cave of Adullam, he knew that his God was his God, and his God is a God of mercy. 
Because the glory of Israel was in hiding, but that glory is the glory of Israel. And God can take a seed and turn it into a glorious kingdom, which is what he does. It's how he works. So God is merciful even when his people push him to the edge. And he is forced to come out of his place in judgment. He's merciful and he sets aside a remnant to carry out his promises of grace and mercy in the covenant. So our commissioning verses from chapters uh, two, uh, verses 2 to 4 this morning. Hear all you peoples, listen to earth and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. He will come down and tread on the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. So the Lord is coming out of his place. The Lord does come to judge the earth when and because he has been provoked, but his seat the place that he comes from is a place of mercy and grace. He is holy, and he does judge, but he is love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And as so, we must be fed. We like to eat. And when we have food, it is simply not just the framework of life that we take for granted. It's something that most of us, when we miss a meal, we can tell it. We can feel it. We know that something's missing. Our stomach starts to growl, or there's that pain in our stomach, or we start to feel lightheaded. So as the old saying goes, you don't miss your water till the well runs dry. Till the well runs dry. We are accustomed here to take part of this Lord's meal every week, and we've been doing this together for the better part of a decade now. And whether you're a member or a regular here, it might be easy to assume that this is just what we do. Well, it is what we do, but it's not just what we do. At the Lord's table, we are being fed and strengthened weekly. Perhaps you've missed a few Sundays because of illness, or perhaps you've had to travel, and where you worship, maybe the saints don't practice weekly communion there. Then we begin to be aware of something, that something's missing. That something missing is what's going on here at the table. This is the communion of the saints. It is not good raw by itself. Apart from the word, the sacrament is just bread and wine. And apart from the love of the saints, the sacrament is a vain and harmful show. And apart from the mouth of faith, faith, this bread and wine cannot be chewed and swallowed. Something, that, something really happens at the Lord's table. And if you miss it, you miss it. This does not mean that the sovereign God is limited by his gifts and cannot bless you extraordinarily if you are providentially hindered or prevented from coming. But while there can be compensation for not being able to come, there is no substitute for coming. So there are three things to avoid when coming to the Lord's table. The first is a superstitious dependence at the table. The second is there is that mode of falling into just a, a matter of habit or rote and just getting used to it. The other is an attitude of 
cavalier disregard that it's nothing really to, to think about. So when you come, remember what Christ has accomplished for you at the cross. It's okay to look around and discern, to recognize and understand and marvel that the saints that are gathered here today are part of and make up Christ's body. Then as you partake, meditate on Christ, the author and finisher of your faith. So come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.